0: Welcome back to the Just Picks podcast. It's wintertime in Just Picksville, and we have so much to talk about today, and for the next few episodes, actually, that I think I'm going to have to get a bigger microphone. Today's show is like no other, because our guest needs no introduction, and for the first time in the history of broadcast, I'm actually not going to introduce him. Well, maybe just a little bit, since this is radio or a podcast and whatever, and you can't actually see him. So I will let you know that joining our show today From the UK across the pond is Miles Gilderdale. Yes, you heard that properly. We actually got Miles to put down his guitar for a little while and just chat. So sit back and enjoy the great conversation with the incredible Miles Gilderdale, right after some brief news. If you're looking for a budget conscious 335 style guitar, but you don't want to compromise on quality, check out the new Harmony H72 reissue. At just $700 US, this guitar packs a a retro look from 1966 with modern quality control and tonality available from the contemporary electronics. The semi-hollow design is accented with stylish F-holes and a fender-like six-in-line headstock on a solid maple neck. The classic Harmony 872 is in high demand by guitarists seeking the vintage tones associated with that 872. This 872 reissue ships with mustache, gold foil, mini humbuckers in the neck and bridge to recreate those classic tones. Check out the Harmony H72 reissue at your local retailer or at www.harmony.co. In other news, Gretsch has announced that they have opened their own museum here in the US in Savannah, Georgia. That great Gretsch Sound Museum is a new destination and the latest addition to the active and engaging entertainment area called Plant Riverside in Savannah, Georgia. The museum displays music memorabilia showcasing over 135 years of the Gretsch story. The exhibit space highlights some of the most popular and unique pieces in Gretsch's historic instrument catalog. Those pieces include the White Falcon, the legendary Chet Atkins Country Gentleman, a Brian Setzer signature G6120, and a vintage 1963 Jet Fiber popularized by ACDC's Malcolm Young. The museum was developed through a special partnership between the Fred and Dinah Gretsch School of Music at Georgia Southern University and the Kessler Collection. In other news, legendary US guitarist Carlos Santana was hospitalized this week resulting in a series of show cancellations allowing the Latin guitar master to recover and to return to performing early in 2022. We wish Carlos well and look forward to upcoming shows and a full recovery. Related, however, just a few weeks ago, the Paul Reed Smith Company announced a limited run of 1,000 Carlos Santana Abraxas album-themed SE guitars. In 2020, the Abraxas album celebrated its 50th anniversary and PRS chose to celebrate that milestone in high class with an incredible 24-fret short-scale bird-inlaid instrument with a classic black finish adorned with the artwork from the genre-breaking album, Abraxas. The guitar is a stunning instrument to see and hear, but the price tag with gig bag is the real stunner. At only $829 US, you get one of 1,000 of these beauties. Check out the Abraxas 50th anniversary guitar at your retailer, or at prsguitars.com. As I said at the top of the show, our guest today needs no introduction, but I can't thank Miles Gilderdale enough for taking the time to join us on the Just Picks podcast. Oh my goodness, it's Miles (laughs) Gilderdale. Hey! I thought it was going to be impossible, brother. We made it. I don't know. The the
1: trouble is, this is is my... my recording computer, and so I always have it set up with a, an interface and, and all you know, the, like the Pro Tools stuff. So yeah. this is the so what I did today is I turned all all the outboard off, so that it would just hopefully default to all just its in, internals. It's never used its internals
0: ever. Right, you know I, I, I'm the same way. You know I've got I've got nine computers here in the studio. I've never used the internals on in the machines I have all the outboard interfaces as you can see in the rack so when yeah. someone asks me to do that it's like I don't know how <laughs> no, exactly good, but you can hear me okay now I was I was gonna like say no I can't hear you but I th- <laughs> <laughs> so how, how are you how are you and your family? We're all right
1: yeah struggling on, just the same as everyone else
0: <laughs> well let me first let me start off with um asking you about your earliest years in Jamaica and then in England and, you know, explain to our listeners, how is it different? If it is at all being a guitar player in England or Jamaica, as you're growing up, like, how did you, how did you hear music and and what was that like for you?
1: Well, here's the thing. I was only in, in Jamaica while I was very small anyway. So, So, you know, I I came back to England. I was still, you know, small. I was too, two or three so that was that so not really aware of that um the the we went to jamaica because uh um my dad always had grand ideas of traveling the world and uh and he loves being in hot places <laughs> so when this gig came up in uh in in jamaica he went and this was when when jamaica was part of the um the commonwealth you know i mean we're talking Sadly, of our not so proud colonial days here, um, <clears throat> but that was the connection. And so he saw, and he saw this. Uh, it was a teaching job, and he thought, "Yeah, this, this will just suit me." And uh, yeah, he up sticks. Took uh, there was only my older brother alive at the time, and uh, uh, so they, yeah, the family went out there, and I was born while it, but while the family were out there.
0: And and then you come back to. To, to England, yeah. again, so how, how do you, how as, as a young uh, young man in, in, in the United Kingdom, how do you get exposed to, to music? I mean, what did you do? Was it albums, was it radio, what was it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it wasn't that much radio in those days where you had something, if you were really into your, your music, you, 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 you tuned into the pirate stations in England. There were pirate stations and there was Radio Luxembourg radio caroline uh the pirate stations were based on ships that used to just sit outside navigational limits and so they were broadcast and uh, the authorities didn't like that but that's how you listen to anything that wasn't just very a very bland um sort of diet uh, of what the bbc decided was uh, light entertainment you know and then uh so you'd listen to that and it would all be done word of mouth your buddies your your the, the older the older siblings of your buddies so that was a great you know that was the great source so we'd find out that you know the that, that my one my, one of my buddies bought led zeppelin out you know and see so it all pile around to that house and and you, you would just you really just it was a Simple days, man. I mean, there was, it was so simple. You you just, you learnt about someone have, might have an exciting record. You all went round to that house. You'd pioneer that record. You'd all take turns reading the <laughs> reading the sleeve notes and you'd play it. You'd all sit round and and sort of pull it to pieces um, and play it over and over again. And yeah, that's how, <laughs> I know, it's, it's just simple days, man. You know, um, and that's how we discovered music, really. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess fairly quickly, I, I mean, by the time we are getting into the sort of mid 70s, you know, it, things are really st- starting to shape up. You know, we're, we're starting to catch up with you guys. And, uh, you know, we've got the, uh, something called in England. We have something called the, the old grey whistle test, which was um, uh, for real music aficionados if you were into you know your serious rock um then you listen to the old grey whistle test which was uh about the one thing you could you could go find and then yeah then there was more rock goes to college and so forth and so forth uh but yeah early on it was just uh bit by bit and uh going down when we used oh i was in a little town and occasionally we'd get a big band come into town and I'd go run down to the to, you know, it was just a town hall. They'd play in the town hall. I'd watch them load all their big kit in. I'd just stand, I'd just stand around the stage door watching these great, you know, Marshall 4x12s come in. And I'd maybe sneak in and just watch them get all their gear up on stage. And I was just hooked. You know, I mean, that was me from age of 12, just watching, watching the. The guys coming to town do their bit. Sound, sound legendary with their real Les Pauls. You know, I mean, this is this was, time. you know, when I was young. You know, I would, <laughs> I remember going, discovering that that someone told me that there was a guy in the next town who had a Vox bass. So I remember cycling, cycling <laughs> to the next town just to go knock on this guy. He didn't know me when went and knocked on his door to say, "Can I look at your Vox bass?" You know, I mean, <laughs> that's where we're at here, you know, because we just didn't have the gear. You know, it's sort of rather anything that was a Fender or a Gibson. It was just, you know, it was almost unattainable, unattainable. You know, it was uh, high end. You
0: know, and, and we and we tr- we cherish those little tiny moments. Uh, what I mean by that is, is that now since uh, young people have access to everything you know, we've ever recorded, it, it, it's almost as like, like it's less value. But if you could only hear that album once a time, you know, once a month at your mate's house, that thing was like gold. It was like a treasure. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, what I want to ask you is, you know, here in the U.S., you know, we have blues and country rock and bluegrass and 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 I guess what became country rock and all this stuff, right? But when I look at the Alvin Lee's, the Gary Moore's, the Eric Clapton's and the Miles Gilderdale's of the world, you guys are teaching us that stuff back. Like we had all this stuff going on, but you somehow, and I this is what I want to know from from you. How did how is it that you get this stuff in your veins and then you have the authority. You're the, the you're the person delivering it back. You know, wh- when did you first notice that you, know, that you were able to kind of play this stuff that you you really admired that you were listening to? Yeah.
1: I mean <clears throat> I think it, it, it's just, it was devotion, uh, that's all. It's just uh, your total devotion to the the sound, you know. Um, I, I remember, you know, getting the Orman Brothers anthology uh, and just listening over and over and over to Greg, uh was a Dwayne Orman and you know, Dickie Betts and, you know, listening to the two guitars. And, and it was just that total devotion to try, and clock it, you know, say, I, what's going on here? I, and that's all it was. It was, it, 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 I don't think there was ever really um, uh, any plan above, uh, beyond that, you know, no, no, I'm going to master this and reinvent it and take it back to the States. <laughs> it was, this is God's own music. I, I want to do this. And so you, it was just a case of, studying the minutiae of it. And um, and I guess at some stage, you sort of acquire a confidence with it. Yeah. Uh, and that's the weird thing. Uh, it's a sort of, that's maybe the magic part, you know, uh, because I don't think at any stage in, in any musician's career, they say, oh, right, I've got it now. I've learned, you know, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, now what? You know you are always thinking <clears throat> it's always that work in progress and so you think right it's always that what's next what's next okay how do we perfect this and so on and so on but i think that regarding the you know your gift to us regarding the the american the rock and roll which is america's gift to the world you know and uh it was just it was just so exciting and that's what we wanted i mean Man, especially if you're like me and uh, terrible at sports, you know I've no interest in sports. And if you if you want to if you you know if you want to get noticed, if you want the girls to like you, you need to be up on that stage playing a serious twelve bar.
0: <laughs> a serious twelve bar, right? Well, you mentioned the Omen brothers. Who who else were in that that early influence of yours? Who did you listen to and go, that's that's the spot i mean who, who were some of the players
1: oh <clears throat> there were many and when, when i think about it it's all hugely varied um right. uh, and so i remember um santana you know i remember hearing the sound of santana's guitar and thinking you know just just hearing the sound of his guitar and being blown away you know with that, with that, his uh his effortless sustain and never understand how on earth do you get a guitar to do you know especially with the, the gear that we had yeah there right was no right. way you know I, I had a little transistor amp it's called a burns orbit six amp it was a it was a transistor amp there was just no way it was clean 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 right up to the top and uh there was just no you know i remember thinking how the how does santana get that noise <laughs> no so but i remember so santana was very big i love i loved the i love the the melodic the melodic angle of his playing um but i also loved um yeah i've already mentioned zeppelin uh and let's think who who else from the sort of the blue i, I mean i loved straight blues um muddy waters uh those guys, because my dad was very much into that that sort of blues. You know, my dad had Lead Belly records, right. and you know he had all that all the quality stuff. So I used to check all that out. But the stuff that, again, always used to excite me was stuff that was a little bit more rock and roll.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and uh, it's always always been for for me when things start getting a bit rock and roll, that's when I get excited. Right, right, right.
0: Well, yeah, I, just going back to Santana's Tony, I just, I just kind of revisited that first album and really was uh, blown away. I mean, I had not listen to it in a while. But remind me, you probably know this because you're a geek like me. I think wasn't his tone being generated by uh, a, a small fender like a Princeton, and Soldano built a pre in front of that, or Soldano Rivera, one of those two guys out in L.A., and that, that was how he was getting that, that saturation. Do you, do you know that story? The the story that I'm
1: familiar with is that is the one where he got one of the very early boogies and it it was a hot rodded Princeton, Uh, and so that would be I'm guessing would that be Elliot Randall? Uh, Anyway, so it was the very very early, it was a hot rodded Princeton Uh, that started he and he and he plugged this thing in, in uh, this the story I know he plugged this thing in in it was a Bay Area shop or something, and. uh, and he said, "He turned he turned it on, and it wailed." And he, and I think he, is is a, 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 he said, "Boy, this thing boogies," and that was it. The name was born because uh, before that, it was just called M- Mesa Engineering. Uh, the, the story was that, uh, right. M- right. Randall, you know, he he'd had a he'd had a job even getting guys to wind his transformers up for him because he wasn't it wasn't a proper manufacturer. So uh, he just, he, he came up with this very innocuous name, Mesa engineering. And then, uh, and then someone came along and I think it was Santana said, this thing boogies and the legend was born.
0: The legend was born. And in the tone, you're right. And the tone of that is so attractive. And, and it's one of those things, w- what I wanted to ask you, cause we, we kind of went down the tone path a little bit. I think a, a, a dangerous path that a lot of young players go down is they hear a tone, and they buy a toy pedal, and they go after the tone, and they really ignore what you mentioned, and that was Santana's melodic approach to playing, and and really miss the music. They kind of go after the sound of the guitar more than the sound the guitar is making, or at least the music the guitar is making. And and you didn't do that. You were clear that you wanted to understand how they were making music on that instrument. Did tone come second, or was it it at the same time? Did you care? I mean, what, what was it like? Yeah, I, I think
1: I think the tone may, maybe just came along at the same time. <clears throat> you know, as uh, uh, that thing where you where you learn to get a nice vibrato. I, I realised fairly early on that getting a good vibrato was going to be. We're listening to. It I used to love free. Well, I still do love free. You know, Paul Kossoff's vibrato was just outrageous, and uh, and I i listened to these beautiful vibratos. And I think you know, I realised there's a bit a big map, you know, element of the magic there. Um, I didn't realise until much later in life is is that that it's all about voices, isn't it? Everything is about a voice. They the, the the what what people warm to in any in any musical sound is is its similarity to the human voice. You know, the the reason why we, you know, everyone what's so irresistible about. Um, Stevie Wonder's harmonica—it's it, just a human voice. It's just an angelic human voice, and and Santana's tone—you know—he's got all that luscious mid. You know, again, these that vocal, very vocal sound, and uh, so, you, so these are the things you're playing with. So whether you're conscious or, or not that you're trying to emulate um, the the human voice. Um, that's what that's what it is at the end that's what we're all doing you know because that's what that's what we're with 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 simple animals you know
0: Uh, Hendrix Hendrix's playing is very much like that it's it is in a way its own way very lyrical and very emotional but it's like the voice you're right so let me ask you when you when you were younger is there any music that you avoided like your mom and dad liked and you said I'm not going to like that or you just you stayed away from it. I think I mentioned to you in, in, in my message, you know, I, I, I didn't go down the blues path that you went down. I went down the classical path like Greg or whatever. So, you know, what what were the styles that you, either you didn't understand or you didn't care to learn or whatever?
1: Yeah, Um. I was, uh, there was a, a bit of a snobbish thing in our family uh, that because of my dad, uh, well, both my mom and dad, you know, they love, they love music <clears throat> um, and because of that, uh, they they sort of figured they knew which was the good music and which was the bad, and so they would be they would be fairly free to put something down if you know if if you if you said oh I like this they would happily say oh you don't like that 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 that's terrible you know to a young kid you you, you sort of that crushes you you mm-hmm. know and uh, and so but I did take that on board and so I remember my dad was pretty down on on country music and so. For a long time, you know, I was down on country music, and until I discovered it all for myself, that country music is great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I it, it, it took me a long time to you know to actually appreciate it for myself because okay, okay, what, because what, what, it was what, bad. <laughs>
0: what what country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zaire because yeah. that's what... at that time though what 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 was the country music was and jennings and stuff like that is that what it was well i mean it was yeah
1: again what what was actually exported to england and and made and, and made the uh you know well made the sales was often not not greatest of country music you know right. you know big big artists in uh uh and I've got to be careful here because I don't really know what I'm talking about. But you know, Charlie Pride, mm-hmm. um, uh the, the these guys, um they 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 shifted a lot of records in England. Um and uh it was there's a whole world of of stuff that that I just didn't know about. You know, I sort of came at it through um the, the sort of more of the americana side of things um you know when i got into the band or the eagles th- those were the guys who sort of made me start um or uh, buffalo springfield th- those guys you know i started that pulled me into more of uh yeah as, as i say it's more americana i guess but how, that's, how about, you know that,
0: yeah how about traditional jazz did you have any interest in like the arch top stuff at all or did that not attract you
1: um, yeah, no. Uh, and my dad, again, listened to it all the time. Uh, uh, the, the one that got me very excited was George Benson, though, because George, he was hit and he had the bluesy thing going on as well, and so I, which I always related to. And it was, again, you know, the the guy was so effortless. Well, still, still is, but I'm looking back to when I was young. You know, and he was my god, how young was he? Um, you know, but you you I, I watched that the footage of there's some great stuff of early George but you know, young George Benson. I remember seeing him is doing a session with um uh it's a studio session um with Frank Sinatra. And uh, it's all the boys, it's just uh Quincy Jones conducting and uh it's all the boy, as I say. It's just I think Steve Gad drums. It's it's a who's who, right. and they're they're in the middle of it. George Benson just doing his thing, absolute nailing. it, Takes a solo down the middle, you know, on a live orchestral band session where you cannot mess up. Just the authority of the guy, and and so I was very just hugely taken with George Benson very early on, very early. Um, I remember, uh, you know, listening to an album of his called Clockwise. Um, and when I was 12, um, had it on my little cassette player, and uh, so yeah, he was one of them. I had Joe Pass as well, but again, it didn't excite me quite the way that uh, the grooviness of George Benson did, you know? right?
0: You know, George grew up six miles from my house. Oh, wow, isn't that funny? And, and uh...
1: American, you can say that.
0: Right, now, right, and he used to play with a guy named Luther dejeuner who you probably don't know. And they would sit on their front steps, Miles, and you could drive up and hear these guys when we were young. They'd just be sitting there playing. <laughs> it was incredible. And Luther's, I, I think Luther has since passed, but yeah, he was right there. And, you know, I think I know that session you were talking about with Sinatra, and, you know, Sinatra had to approve all those solos. So if George had not already proven himself worthy, I can guarantee he wouldn't have had that solo because... Uh, 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 Frank was very, I, as I understand it, very much in, in, in charge of his sessions and how the players played. That's really interesting. Well, let me also ask you stuff that you may have avoided, but the acoustic guitar was that something that was uh, was a, had a role for you? Sometimes people play acoustic just because it's the instrument they're given when they're young and don't make that choice. For you, you seem to have been attracted to what was going on in the in the electric world. But did you play acoustic as a youngster? Yeah, yeah. My my
1: guitar. My mom and dad bought me a, an acoustic guitar when I was uh, eight or nine. You know, they they decided I was musical, and so they put me in the church choir, and uh, bought me this acoustic guitar, which was a, a dog. It cost them four pounds, which is about six six dollars in in American, and uh, and uh, and I learned to just strum a few, just very You know, just the, the tunes everyone plays. cinnamon oh oh, cinnamon, where where you gonna run to? Um, uh, again, not exciting, not stuff that makes you want to uh, play. But uh, the out, out the church, because I was in the choir, uh, used to have uh, a little um, a sort of church youth club, and every now and again they would get um, a gospel band would come in, and if we were very lucky, the gospel band would have full rock setup. You know, there would be a rock gospel band. And then I was in my seventh heaven then, because that again, that was the guys with a, with the, I a, mean, they'd turn up with the Hammond organs and and it would be it would be rock gospel tunes, but uh, uh, that always got me going. So I was just the 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 acoustic just that was that helped me learn where the notes were, I, but I, I, I never looked at that acoustic and said, you know, I'm gonna be James Taylor with that thing. Right. Um, right. I, wish, I wish I did, <laughs> but I ne- never did. It was uh, that's that, that's going to help me learn where the notes are because what I really want to do is be uh, J- Jimi Hendrix or, or, or one of those guys. That's what I wanted.
0: Right, right. You know, I, I think about the first guitars we all got. Have you ever heard of a GLO? No. That that, that was my. It's called that was my first guitar. So it's called a guitar looking object. <laughs> On the headstock, it said GLO, a guitar-looking object. <laughs> That's exactly what I got, <laughs> <laughs> Right? And uh, <laughs> I think you guys call it a capo. I had to put a capo on the fifth fret just to hold the strings down. It, it was it was, it was was a dobro without a pie pan in it. I got to tell you, it was something else. <laughs> but you, you mentioned your first amp, and that was a question I had on the sheet, you know, because I always ask people, so why did you get an amp? You know, like, I remember when I got my first amp, and I wasn't in a band, you know, so what, what was this Burns amp? I've never heard of this. And what was its role in your life?
1: Yeah, it was an English amp. And they you, they were just, they were affordable. It was an affordable amp. It was pure, uh, transit, solid state, you know. Um, there was, I mean, there was a lot of work in there when, it, when you were going inside it. Because you, the, the components used to drop off inside, you know. So you'd always be going in there to try and find out which resistor you know lost a leg so you know you'd find you tap it around and solder it back together but <clears throat> um it yeah, yeah it was affordable and so when i i got a you know a little saturday job and got a few quid together that 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 was the one the one thing because it was loud enough to gig with that's the thing um, um properly loud enough to gig with it's just that uh, you were never going to get, it was, I guess you'd say it was just uh, like a, like a twin reverb but without the, uh, without the class.
0: Right. was it sing- single uh, cone or two, con- I mean, was it combo? Oh, you
1: know. oh God. I mean, no, no, no question. No overdrive. No. Oh God. I think it seems to remember it had three channels. I think it might have had vibrato and it might, might even have had reverb, um, but um, maybe not. Um, but uh, it was, yeah, there was no it offered you nothing more than uh bass bass and treble, right? At, right. at Varying degrees of volume.
0: Yeah, well, I you, I'm, I'm not not that we're going to compare equipment because uh, my first amplifier was I think a, something like a 1951 Gibson didn't even know they made them at the time. This was like a, a, a seven and a half watt class a point to point wired gorgeous amplifier my grandfather bought in New York and a friend of mine took it. I never got it back. The thing would probably go to Carter Vintage, Vintage Guitars today for a million dollars, but it was unbelievable. But it was just, it, ha- it had one, my, my grandfather was from Italy, Miles, and it had one control on it that he called Volumi. <laughs> he was Italian. But that was it, it had a power switch and Volumi. And <laughs> I, I, I've never looked up what that amp was, but uh, boy, what, what a, you talk about clean. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so you, you mentioned ensemble playing, and I want to ask you, what So you, when did you make the transition to ensemble playing, right? And what what was that like for you? Because I think everyone kind of imagines playing, and now they have to do it when they're in ensemble. So more than just like the little church youth thing, but when did you kind of say, we're going to do this, and there was a band, and what was that like for you?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, the first band I got into, uh, a, a guy at school knew that I could play guitar, but I didn't have a knick. So he said, you can play guitar, can't you, Miles? Yeah. Right, come down to our band practice. So I went down to his band practice and there was a guy with a real drum kit uh, and two guys, each with their guitars and a guy with bass. And one of the guys with guitars, um, he, even though he had a guitar and an amp, couldn't play the guitar. I mean, he couldn't play anything. I mean, he didn't know where to start. So he said, so basically... I had to take this guitar. Had to take this guy's guitar and play it for the practice while he sat and watched me play his guitar for the rehearsal. And uh, and that's how that first that's how the first band went. Uh, After after a while, he got a bit bored of that. Did uh, (laughs) in fact, he did that thing of saying, "I'm going to take my guitar home now." but, uh, but that's how the first, uh, and, and I was hooked because we made it. I mean, all we did for that first, you know, those first few rehearsals was play 12 bar boogies forever at volume. And, uh, and that was great. So that was the first proper ensemble playing. That was ensemble play. It was naive, but boy, it, it was just, it was, it was the hook. You know, I mean,
0: I love it. I love it. No, yeah. I, I, I don't want to tell you a lot about me because it's not the point here. But I think you'll find this really funny. So my first band, I was an acoustic player to start off with, and the guys had a band and they didn't have an electric player and they really wanted me to play because I could play when I was young. I could play, right? And so I said, if you get me a guitar, I'll be in the band. So sure enough, they got a Harmony uh, Rocket. If you know that, it's like a 330. Hey, hey. Yeah. And so I'm in this band, right? What well, turns out, they stole the guitar. <laughs> And, and Miles, they weren't even smart enough to steal it from somebody like a couple, you know, a couple of cities away. They stole it from a guy down the block. I almost got killed. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, so yeah, Bowie wasn't exactly right. The bitter doesn't always come out better on the stolen guitar. But anyway, so t- tell me about um, when you first started to play out, though. I mean, you had you, you had these ensembles were where starting out, but there's a point in time where you're on the stage, whether people are paying or not. But you know, you finally realized you've got to. You've got to be a performer, and that's different than being in a room practicing with a bunch of guys. You've got to be a performer. What was that? What was that transition like? And do you remember that at all?
1: Um, I guess it's, it would probably be doing your first public gig,
0: yeah?
1: Wouldn't it? I don't know. I mean, it's a, the point where you stand up in front of this. It was the school the school dance. You know, we got we got booked our first band. We'd rehearsed our tunes up. Got the book for that first, you know, the school dance. We managed to blag it, and uh, and it, and again, it's that that whole thing of being able to deliver. And everyone was dancing. You know, I mean, that is that's the ultimate compliment. That means that you're achieving it, and aren't you? You know, if if you're if you're if people actually, you're moving them to get up and throw themselves around the floor then essentially you've done it, haven't you? I mean, you, you've you've cracked it. And right. so at some stage, I was, in my mind, I thought, right, well, that's that. I can do this, then. I can see people dancing. I like them to dance to the music we're making. I like it a lot. Um, I should do this more. Um, and, and it was, again, it was just... Um, i don't know that i really planned much of this you know it's just i love doing this i want to keep doing it you know right. i love this i'm gonna indulge my love of this as much as i can
0: well let me ask you about uh kind of growing up as a guitar player in those ensembles did power trios attract you like hendrix and cream and things like that because that i want to get into that a little bit was that something or did you just see yourself as a guitar player in the band
1: Um, no not necessarily um uh, that, that first band that i mentioned there that, that we played uh, the, the high school hops with there was another there was a rhythm guitarist in that and i was happy for that i was the lead guitarist as, and uh, <clears throat> um but i probably wasn't m- the, the first time i've got interested in a power trio was again at a school dance. Uh, where we got a, 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 a localish band came over from the coast, um, about sixty miles away, and they were a power trio. And to say they were playing a school dance, just doing a, a bunch of covers, this was a great guitarist. I don't know what he went on to do. I don't know his name, but man, this this guitarist could play. He he was a. There, there was a. Do you remember a band called Bebop Deluxe at all? There was a band called Bebop to Bill, Bill Nelson. He's, he was a big, a big hero in the north. He was from Wakefield, and um, Bill Nelson. Um, he was very um, uh, highly regarded uh, amongst the musical fraternity. Anyway, this, this band—they—they um, they, they were essentially a bebop B-box Deluxe tribute. You know, long before there were tribute bands, and uh, and the whole idea that the one guitarist could get up there and sound like. Just with that finesse, use all that space, but just the choice of the, you know, the deftness of use of texture and the 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 power of it. I, it was, it blew me. It absolutely blew me away. That there was this was this was a three piece band, and uh, I thought, God, you know, it's, a three piece band can make that sort of sound. There were no holes in it. You know, I love the sound of a big band. You I mean give me. Give me the sound of Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know, I love a, a fully a fully landscaped, a, you know, a big Philly band. You know, I love that big, dense sound. But you know, when you hear three guys, like you say, that 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 um, three guys can really masterfully um, co- cover all the di- the dynamics. That's somewhat to behold.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, as you were forging who you were to become as a guitarist early on. Um, did you find yourself being attracted to certain guitars? Like, for instance, some people, Angus, is the SG is the instrument for them. And then for other people, it's the Les Paul. For some people, it's the Stratocaster. Others will never play anything but a Telecaster. I mean, or some people come out of the world and they're, they're Gretsch players. Um, was that something that, that was present for you based on style, preference, neck? Was it completely accidental? Didn't matter. You'd play any guitar that came along. Yeah, it's sort of. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> um,
1: yeah, uh, I wasn't really. I, I I wanted a proper. I wanted a proper name guitar. That's it. Was the snob value of having a. Re- I wanted a Gibson's Fenders, that only that would do. But beyond that, I, I had I, I dipped in and out a lot, and made that terrible mistake of having a beautiful 64 Telecaster which I then thought oh no this is a bit old hat I'll I'll get rid of this and get a complete old dog of a Gibson Melody Maker instead yeah it was the one of those that got away but so I did I I tried lots and lots of And I remember not far after that I got a, a um a Rickenbacker you know the John Lennon type Rickenbacker um I, I yeah I was into trying lots of different things I was trying to find my voice if you like so and in a in a very haphazard way you know rather than rather rather than being scientific about it I suspect <laughs> what happened is that I just sounded the same on all of them you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's just it's, a buddy of mine is uh is great Steve who uh he works he he develops a lot the martial gear he de, he de, developed the um the vintage yeah. modern, vintage modern range the astoria range um and he's been been at the heart steve dawson he's been at the heart of a lot of their development over the years and <clears throat> i used to see him uh, when i played in the northeast a lot when we used to gig in the olden days of gigging and and he'd always come down he'd, we'd always have a good natter and he'd say, Oh, what are you playing today? You know, he'd see if I, you know, different guitar, different amp. And, and I'd say, Yeah, but what do you think it sounds like? You know, do you think it's okay? You know, it goes, you know, it's like,
0: sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's good and bad, though. You know, I, I want to ask you about this 64 Telly. Was it Rosewood fingerboard? Do you, what do you remember about it? You know, was I, it? I
1: remember everything about it. It yeah. was Rosewood fingerboard. Um, it had been originally black but um someone had uh taken the black finish off uh and so it was a natural and then they, they, it's that it had a nice honey um lacquer on it and uh yeah it was a beaut, was a perfect neck just perfect
0: yeah and was it like single coil in, in the in the bridge and like the standard thing standard two pickup oh. out
1: yeah stole um and the uh, the uh the scratch plate was really it was just a single ply scratch plate um made of it was almost like a sort of bakelite material it was so thick and oh i mean i don't i don't know if they made bakelite in cream but um it 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 was just a lump of a, th- I mean it was the original scratch plate um i'm sure of it um but it, it, yeah, it certainly wasn't um, a, a, a play scratch play. It was, no, I remember everything about that thing. Uh, yeah, silly me.
0: You've been listening to the part one of Miles Gilderdale of Acoustic Alchemy here on the Just Picks podcast. This interview was recorded during the COVID lockdown in 2021. We've heard Miles talk about his earliest influences and how he found his voice on the guitar. Join us for part two of my interview with Miles Gilderdale and the Just Picks podcast, episode 359.